This morning, I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter. I'm going to read a passage from chapter 8, and then the main course of our time will be in chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I want to read verses 8 through 10 in chapter 8, and then 6 through 15 in chapter 9. So turn there, or click there, or slide there, or point there. Whatever you do, pull up your app. And go there with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll be doing verses 8 through 10, and then chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, and let me just ask that God will give me strength to get through another service of preaching, and uh, to say the right things to you, alright? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word, and I thank you for um, the message of salvation through Jesus, I thank you that you really do put our salvation in economic terms as far as we were spiritually poor, but you made us spiritually rich in Christ, that you spent yourself, um, you redeemed us, you purchased us at the price of, of your son's blood. And now, Lord, we, we come with our very real economic lives and in a very real economic world. And we ask that now that you've delivered us from the dark spiritual forces of money and that you've delivered us from anxiety, that now you would empower us to be a generous people. And uh, just help our hearts to be open. Help me to get out of the way of a message that you want us to hear from your word. And, and uh, I'm just really grateful to stand up here and, and to get to teach and to preach your word. And I want to be faithful. So Holy Spirit, help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at verse, uh, chapter 8, verses uh, 8 through 10. It says here, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give you my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. And then jump to chapter 9 and verses 6 and following. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
Now, we are doing a series called Change, and what, what we're doing, what we're attempting is we're attempting to change our worldview as it, re, as it relates to the economy, as it relates to money and our relationship to money. We're asking God for a biblical perspective, even a spiritual perspective about money and things and possessions. And we have seen in the first two weeks of this series how vitally important it is that we put our economic life into the hands of God. We know now from the teaching of Jesus, the greatest economic teacher that the world has ever known, we know from him that money and possessions are a great means for spiritual attack and spiritual warfare. And while money and possessions are very neutral things, very neutral things, yet if we give our hearts to them, demonic and spiritual attack can come through money and spiritual things, and things and money and possessions can become our God and become our master. As opposed to having money, money will have us. As opposed to happening to things, things begin to happen to us. And our life begins to get quickly out of control without an intentional spiritual development and worldview uh, concerning money and possession. And then last week, we learned how important it is to talk about a change in our worldview towards money and possession because of our emotional life. Because money and things creates unnecessary anxiety. Because we value our life according to these criteria where we either are anxious about never having enough or we're anxious about losing what we've already earned. And our life emotionally can be filled with worry and anxiety and we can begin to hang on to our, our life with a tight grip and we hang on to this world with a tight grip and we live each day in anxiety. And Jesus wants us to release our anxiety. He wants us to let go of our anxiety. But we see from this passage that what God is beginning to do in Scripture and what we're going to talk about today is we begin to talk about very practical things. We've talked about the abstract and the spiritual and the emotional. We've talked about you can't serve two masters and you can't be anxious. But now this passage is getting practical. Now that God has released us spiritually and now that God has released our anxiety and our worry, God's going to begin to elbow his way into your practical life. God's going to begin to start talking to you about your bank account. He's going to begin to talk to you about what to do with your money. And that's when it starts getting sensitive. Now, what we read about is basically God's game plan for you practically on a financial level. And I want you to hear this. Most of the Bible and most of what God has to say about our practical financial life is that the centerpiece of his people, everybody say his people, the centerpiece of his people, if you belong to him, what he is saying to you and me as his people is he's saying you must be generous. You must be intentionally, cheerfully, and measurably a generous people. God wants us to be visibly seen and understood that there's no doubt that his people are a generous people. He wants us to understand that, that as his purchased people, as his adopted sons and daughters, a people who once belonged to sin and darkness, who even still today we wake up with visible reminders of our life before Christ. But now that we're in Christ, he wants us to have a financial game plan for our life that is the center, please, 
Not a peripheral piece, not like some kind of piece over here, but practically the centerpiece of our finances is rooted in generosity. Intentional, cheerful, measurable generosity. That's what Paul is talking about. That is what he's talking about. Paul wants us to understand that our value is not what we take, but our value comes in what we give. That our value and our understanding of what is... Really, listen, here's the deal. Let me tell you something. Can I just be honest with you? Let me get out of the, 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 uh, the rich uh, um, prose that I'm in right now. Let me just stop and just tell you this. Money never made a man rich. Amen? Did you know that? Money never made a man rich in the past. Money doesn't make a man rich now. Money doesn't make people rich in the future. It will never make anybody rich. Money is just a currency. What makes people rich, loved ones, is knowing God, experiencing God, and living life through God and in Christ. Amen? You want to be rich? You want, I want to be rich. God's put it in your heart to be rich. God has put it in your heart to have treasure. You want treasure? You want to be rich beyond your wildest imagination? Center your life on Christ. Come to Christ. Come and know God. He who knows God and has nothing is far richer than he who has everything but does not have God. Amen? That is the biblical teaching. And one of the reasons why God wants us to be practically generous people is to let go of those things that we think measure our life, to let go of this life, to, to not have a tight grip, but an open hand to the world so that in our open hands, God can put his blessings, put his riches. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us in love to be His sons and daughters, redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, and he's telling the church in, in Corinth, You are rich if you have Christ. Period. You are so rich. And it's about how we consider value. It's, it's about what's really valuable. And, and God wants us to take our possessions and our money and our things. And while he wants us to enjoy some of them, he wants us to give back, to be generous, to have an intentional, measurable, cheerful generosity. And part of experiencing his riches every day is being a generous people. Now, I have from this passage in 2 Corinthians, I have three observations and three practical applications. Amen? You do not have to give to this church to receive all this blessing, loved ones. Amen? Y'all with me? Oh my gosh, I lost them early. All right. All right, here we go. Three observations. The observations are about generosity. What does 2 Corinthians say about generosity? Why should we be generous? Uh, and, and then I have practical, how are we going to be generous? So observation number one, generosity is natural. Why should we be generous? Why does God want us to be generous? We, generosity is very natural. Note how both Jesus and Paul uh, compares generosity, intentional, measurable, cheerful generosity. He keeps coming back to nature. Look at verse 6 with me real quick again. 
Chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, he says. Whoever sows sparingly. Everybody say sows. All right. We got farmers here and people who understand harvest and everything like that. So whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And he's saying, look, money is just like seed. And, and any farmer knows the more seed you spread, the more crops, the more your harvest uh, uh, goes. And he's connecting generosity to nature, to creation. And all of the Bible, in fact, read the book of Proverbs this, this week. Read the whole book, all, all, all those chapters. And read everything that it says about money and sowing and giving and generosity. And you'll see it keeps coming back again to birds and sowing and seed. And when Jesus talked about anxiety, he said, look at the birds and look at the sky and, 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 and look at the lilies of the field. And, and he's always connecting our economic life to the natural world. And what is God communicating? to us in this he's communicating that the way to really live is not to take but to give and that is rooted not in culture but in creation and when it comes to money you want your life not based on what culture says but what creation says what is natural the way God made you the way God made trees and rivers and grass the most natural thing of all of creation is that we it has because it gives It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You receive far more blessing in giving than you do in taking. And and that's the way of the natural world. When you go to, by the way, I come from Oklahoma. I used to think, I used to think to my, you know what I thought when I lived in Oklahoma? I grew up born and raised in Oklahoma City, born and raised there. And I used to think, man, I am glad I am not a farmer. Because they're trying to plant in stingy soil. It's red clay. And those poor people, they're poor. And I thought, I grew up thinking all farmers were poor until I came to central Illinois. (laughs) And then I said, I chose the wrong profession. I thought I'd be richer as a preacher than a farmer. And you want to know why farmers do better here? Because the soil is generous. Because the rain is generous. Because things are actually green here. (laughs) When you go to any part of the world where there's abundance and fruitfulness and great things to eat off the tree and great things to drink off the vine and and, and great things to find in the ground and, and great prosperity in nature, it's because that part of the geographical world is very generous. There's lots of rain and lots of giving and lots of giving back and there's fruitfulness. But you go to a desert and why is it a desert? Because it's stingy. It takes. I, mean, I remember going over to Israel, man. You go to, you, go, you go to Galilee, no wonder God decided to be born up there in the, in the north. They might have been hillbillies, but it's beautiful country. Lots of beautiful trees, and it's green, and it's beautiful. You go down south by Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, down there by the Dead Sea, and it's desert, and it rains like half a day a year. There's nothing. There's just salt The sea is so dead and full of salt and and nothingness that you can't even sink in the Dead Sea. You literally float. If you try to drown yourself in the Dead Sea, it wouldn't work. It's so filled with toxic salt because it's all stingy down there. 
See, we, when we hear God say, you got to give. When you hear God say, be generous, give back. When you hear God say that the centerpiece of your practical financial economic life should be generous, we think God is taking from us, but he's not. He's wanting us to have. And when we take and, and, and we borrow the practices of our culture and society, and we're like, mine! Like we're Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Y'all like that movie? Should I use that illustration? My precious. And look at him. He's in a dadgum cave. He's lost his teeth. My precious. That's our culture. We're like Gollum on steroids. My precious. And we're mean. Right? God says, no, you, you want to let go. You want to live. You want to be fruitful. You want to, what's, what's he say? You will be enriched in every way. Everybody say every way. In every way you'll be enriched. Marriages that last and actually enjoy each other are generous marriages. Children that like their parents have generous parents. Uh, 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 look at any relationship. Look at, look at any, any spiritual life or practical life. And it's the generous people that end up on top. Because it's rooted in creation. It's the way God made things. And you want to know why he made things like that? Because he is infinitely and radically generous. All God has ever done in eternity past, within the, within the triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally existing three distinct persons, one God, never having been created, none of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, constantly giving in love, constantly giving in relationship, constantly giving in communion, and then they shared and multiplied that community and creating the universe, and then man and woman, and then and multiplication and fruitfulness, and God said, go and, and, and multiply and fill the earth. It comes from His nature. You want to experience God? You want spiritual awakening? You want spiritual revival? You want to stay sustained and fired up and ignited with passion for God? You want to experience His heart? You have to be generous. It's just the way it is. And when we were born, listen, when we were born... We were born in sin. We were born with the poison of Adam and Eve. We were born with pride and selfishness. And, and you know what? Your kids, when they were born, let me tell you, amen. When your kids were born, they were born rebels, amen? They were. And they were cute. Except they all look like Winston Churchill because all babies look like Winston Churchill. But anyways. So really, they were ugly. Honestly, they were ugly that first day, Okay? And they were rebellious, and they rebelled against God. And the problem with rebellion and sin is that it makes us unnatural. It doesn't make us natural. It doesn't make us human. Sin makes us less human. Sin makes us less natural. Sin, sin is an environmental pollution to the natural way of things. God's an environmentalist. He wants to clear out the pollution of selfishness. He wants to clear out the pollution that clouds our sky and our air and our heart and our soul. He wants to clear it out, this unnatural taking, and he wants us to get back. To, that's why Jesus died for us. Return to give us back our humanity, to give us back our natural created order of things of being generous and fruitful and multiplying. So my first observation about generosity is that it's natural. It's not unnatural. What culture does is unnatural. 
What culture does is rooted outside of, culture, outside of creation. What, what culture does is it tries to make us unhuman. It tries to make us inhumane. It tries to, it tries to warp and woof us. And, and Did I just say woof? Man, i got to go to the next point. Second observation. Generosity is grace. Generosity is rooted in grace. This is probably the most important point of the whole sermon. So if you're going to fall asleep, wait till after this one. Generosity is rooted in grace. Why should we be generous? Because of grace. Look at what he says in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 10, jump down. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Jump up to chapter 8, verse 9. One more time, just because I really hope you'll underline this in your Bible or make it colorful on your iPad or your Kindle or whatever you're reading from, your phone, make it, I don't know, glow or something. But verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace, everybody say grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And he's saying that in the context of I want you to give. I want you to be generous towards this cause that we have. I want you to give into the, I want you to be generous. But listen, the reason why he wants to, he emphasizes, and God wants us to know why we're generous. He says the reason why we should be generous is because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That the whole gospel, now watch me on this. The whole gospel is this, that when we were poor, he made us rich by giving up his riches so that we wouldn't be poor anymore. That's the whole gospel. The whole gospel is that we were homeless with God, that we were on the street corner, we were impoverished, we had nothing to purchase the kingdom of God with. In fact, in comparison to the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, we were stripped-bared, naked, disgusting spiritually on the street corner. And God came to us in that place of not deserving anything, and He became poor for us. He gave up His riches for us. This is vitally important. Generosity. We should be generous because of grace. No other reason, really. We should be generous because of grace. How many of y'all, I, I, I'll tell you, I have driven by uh, homeless people begging for money. So many, how many of y'all have done that? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand because this is going to be re- very convicting. But I've driven by. And you know what I've said sometimes when I see those homeless people, you know, with the sign that says, you know, give me some money. And they're kind of standing there. Every na- not all the time. I know I'm a pastor. I'm a very loving and compassionate person. But I'm not perfect. And sometimes I see those people and I think, I'm not going to give that guy money. God needs to get a daggum job. That's what's going through my head. Now, I do respect the guy. Like in Oklahoma City, I don't know how it works here. In Oklahoma City, sometimes those guys are holding up a sign and they say, I will buy liquor. Give me some money. You know what I mean? They're like actually honest. Those are the guys I want to give money to. I'm like, right on, brother. Go get you some liquor. That's good, dude. You know what I'm saying? That's outstanding. 
But we all drive by these people, and, and we think about uh, poverty, and we think about, we think about the poor, and sometimes what we think in our head is, they've got to get a job. They wouldn't be poor if they had a job. Why would I give them money for nothing? Why would I give them uh, anything for nothing? That concept of grace, now watch this. That concept of grace is this. I want you to understand grace, and I want you to understand the gospel. Spiritually, we're on the corner. Spiritually, we were on the corner, and we were holding up a sign, and our sign says, yeah, I'll buy liquor. I'll do what I want. Spiritually, we rebelled against God. And we had nothing to offer. And God didn't drive by, and he didn't roll down his window, and he says, Hey, you, get a job! I worked for what I had. You made your bed. You can sleep in it. That's not what God did with us. God pulled over. He got out of the car. He stripped himself naked. He got up on a cross. Even creation argued with him. Creation said, what are you doing on the cross, stripped naked of all your clothes? He sold all of his clothes to the filthy, nasty, pagan, Roman soldiers. He was scorned and mocked on that cross. And creation said, no. And there was an earthquake. Creation said, what are you doing for these people? For these wicked Poor people who won't get a spiritual job for you. You're going to die for them on the cross. You're going to go up there naked and full of shame on that cross. And there was darkness in the middle of the day. Because God gave everything for you and me when we stood with our son and said, Yeah, I'm going to buy liquor. I'm going to do what I want. And grace saved us anyways. Grace made us a priority anyways. Grace came and said, I will become poor to make you rich. And not only that, I'm going to bring you into my family. I'm going to bring you in my home. And I'm going to clothe you. And I'm going to enrich you in every way. That's important, loved ones. I'll tell you why it's important. Because our generosity, listen, our generosity cannot come from a position of superiority over anybody. We got nothing on anybody. We got nothing. And much of the, much of the generosity of our culture is nothing more than emotional exploitation. We say, oh, that poor person, I'm going to give them money so I can feel better about myself. Like Jerry Lewis says on the telephones, if you give today, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I am a caring person. It's emotional exploitation. I'm using other people's pain to make myself feel better by giving to them. And Paul and God and Jesus and the Bible says, no, that is not the reason to be generous. The reason to be generous is you are saved by grace. God saved you, became poor for you, gave to you, and now he wants you to confess that gospel. Look at what he says. That's what he says. Look at verse 13. Man, I'm getting more fired up for you all than I did the first service. Woo! Verse 13, change, man. We got to change. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. Everybody say submission. Flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Grace. 
Why should we be generous? It's we want to confess the gospel. We want, we want to say to anybody, we give anybody to, the poorest person on the world, we give them money. And we say to them, we say, can I use you? I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. That, I should pay him money. I'm going to pay him money afterwards. All right. But if I come to you and I say, Eric, here you go. Here's, here's some financial help for you. Eric doesn't need it. He's, he's great. But anyways, I wouldn't be saying, now I feel better about myself because poor you. I've helped you out. But my giving to Eric is from one pauper to another, from one poor man to another, I help you. Because even if I've never been financially poor, I know what it feels to be emotionally poor. I know what it is to spiritually be bankrupt. And I still sometimes have visible reminders of the day I didn't know God. I still have visible reminders of the sin I carried once upon a time before Christ. And I still carry the consequences. And I still have to remind myself, I am forgiven, right? Like, I'm, I'm okay, even though I was so jacked up. So full of pride for what? I was a little speck of dust in the universe, and I thought I was the biggest deal in the world, and I was nothing. And God saved me anyways. I threw up. I'll, I'll never forget one night. One night I was out. I was out with my buddies. And I was, I was drunk, and I had a beer bottle, and I looked up at the sky, and I said, God, you want me? You come get me. And I threw the beer bottle in the sky as if it would actually matter to him. And he still saved me. I was so naked and poor spiritually, so impoverished, and so were you when he saved you. There's nobody in here who can give any idea or temptation of superiority over anybody in this planet if you are saved by grace. And so we give. We give. Because we want to confess our belief. We want to confess the salvation. We want to celebrate the gospel. Generosity is rooted in nature. Generosity is rooted in grace. Number three... Generosity is rooted in ministry. Why should we give? Because of nature, because of grace, but because of, because of ministry. We want people to give thanks to God. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Now you see that. In, in fact, in... in, in Oh, where is that? Uh, uh, verse 12. For the ministry of this service not only supplying the needs of the saints. Everybody say saints. But is also, everybody say also, overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Well, what's the many thanksgivings to God? I'll tell you what the many thanksgivings to God is. Not only are saints benefiting from your generosity, but pagan unbelievers are giving thanks to your God. Through your generosity and through the ministry of generosity... 
The gospel reaches more people because more people begin to give thanks to God for this visible expression of what we believe. And they go, man, you know, I've been looking around at all these Roman gods and their temples and their candles and their, all their stuff that they do. But this, like this whole Christian movement thing, this actually doing something for me is causing me to go, wow, that God's actually meeting me where I'm at. I give thanks to God. They glorify God. They give thanks to God. Make no mistake about it, loved ones. Everything about God is generous, including the church, including reaching out, including mission. We should be generous so that more people can be reached to celebrate this gospel of grace and salvation. We want to multiply believers. We want to multiply thanksgivings to God. We want to multiply the glory of God. And so why should we be generous? So that the gospel can move forward. So that more people can say, your God is phenomenal. Everybody say phenomenal. That's what we want everybody to say about God. And we don't want people looking at us and going, man, you are phenomenal. We want to say, no, man, I'm not phenomenal. I'll tell you who's phenomenal. Jesus is phenomenal. I'll tell you who's phenomenal. The creator God is phenomenal. I'm nothing. I'm really nothing. God is everything. His glory. Give thanks to him. Well, I do. I, I don't know him very well, though. But I, give, I thanked him last night, as a matter of fact. See, that's it. Ministry. So observation number one. Generosity is rooted in nature. Observation number two. Generosity is rooted in grace. Observation number three. Generosity is rooted in ministry. That's my introduction. Here's my three-point sermon. Are you ready? You're like, no, dear God, please. I want to go back out into the cold. I'm hot and tired. All right? How? How can we be generous? Okay, I understand why I'm fired up. You, Pastor Josh, you are the greatest preacher I've ever heard before in my life. That's a joke. It's a joke. Everybody's like, he is the most arrogant little... Wasn't he just saying he was a sinner? All right. How? I'm fired up about generosity, but how do I do it? How do I do it? What's some practical steps? Number one... How to be generous, be bountiful, bountifully, verse 6. See that, verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We don't want to be generous sparingly. We want to be generous bountifully. Big generosity. So the question becomes... And we'll talk more about this next week in great detail. But the question is, what's the measure of bountiful? What does the Bible say about the measure of bountiful generosity? And the Bible has quite a bit to say about how you measure bountiful generosity. And I'll tell you, the baseline, biblically speaking, is a tenth. Ten percent has always been a baseline. That it, bountiful generosity for a believer... And for people who believe in God, never falls below 10%. Now, sometimes it's more. And probably, if God has provided for you plenty, it should be a little bit more. But at the very least, 10% is the measure of bounty. But before I get to all that, which I'll talk about that in great detail, invite a friend. It'll be great. But I do believe also that the Bible has a general principle for what bountiful is. And here's the, here's the principle of bounty. 
it should affect you a little bit. You should feel your generosity on a practical level. It should actually affect your lifestyle. Bountiful generosity is never like, well, I can give this much and still have every single thing I want. That's not bountiful generosity. Bountiful, and this is between you and the Holy Spirit and what God's calling you to do with what you have. And God's never calling anybody to be generous with what they don't have. It's not like if you don't have a job or you don't have money or, you know, whatever, God's coming to you and saying, you should give. Well, with what? But out of what you have, bountiful generosity, you will feel it practically. You will have to say, I can't have that if I give this. That's gospel-oriented generosity. I really want a Fender Stratocaster electric guitar, amen? You know this. And I can't believe y'all aren't picking up on the passive-aggressive message that somebody should buy me one. But anyways, that's covert hostility I'm doing, beloved. No, don't, don't anybody buy me anything. But uh, it really is a joke. Sherry's here. She's really going to be mad I just said that. But... But I really should be able to say, you know what, I really want that, but because of what I give, I'm not going to get it. And the reason why that's important is because bountiful generosity, you should feel what God felt, at least a little bit in what he did for you. You should carry a burden for somebody else so that you can understand You'll never fully understand the infinite sacrifice of God on your on your behalf, but you should kind of you should feel a little bit of a cross somewhere. In your generosity, you should be able to say, yep, I can't do as much. I can't have the extra vacation. I can't have the extra car. I can't get the third, you know, Jeep Wrangler that I can work on all the time because my life and my finances are rooted in generosity. In fact, that's the core of my financial planning is generosity. It's the first thing on the budget. It's the first thing I plan for. It's, it's number one. That's bountiful, plentiful. Number two, how do I be generous bountifully? We'll, and we'll talk more about planning next week. Number two, cheerfully. Everybody say cheerfully. cheerfully. You know, it's unfortunate, isn't it, that God, won't, that God doesn't count grudging giving. Amen? <laughs> he counts cheerful giving. And, and he says here in verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now... I know I'm going a little long today, but I've got to tell you, this is awesome stuff I'm about to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you some great stuff. He tells us how to be a cheerful giver. He doesn't just say, be cheerful. I used to have a pastor like that. Cheerfully give, beloved. Amen. God bless you. Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he'd walk away. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, am I giving cheerfully? You know what I mean? It's like, it's terrifying. Because you were giving, but you didn't know if you were cheerful. He tell, Paul tells us how to be a cheerful giver. And look at it again. Let me just read it. He says, each one must give as he has decided. Everybody say decided. Decided. You want to know what the Bible says about how to be a cheerful giver? It's called plan. It's called a budget. It's called decide beforehand, like at the beginning of the year, what you're going to give and then be done with it. Put it on your budget, number one. This is how much I'm going to give. This is where I'm going to give it. I have decided in my heart, and I will give this because I believe in the gospel. And get on with your life. Compulsive giving is knee-jerk. You're walking around. This is the world. This is how the world's generous. The world walks around and goes, Oh, 
Oh, I better give so I feel better about myself. I can't see you like this. There you go. And then Jerry, Jerry Lewis, as long as he's alive, will continue to get on the TV and says, you've got to give now, you've got to give now, pull out your credit card, pull out your credit card. You're like, oh my gosh, children, here's my MasterCard. Or the stars, the celebrities get on and say, there's been a tsunami in Japan and children are dying all over the place. Pull out your credit card now. And you pull it out and it's all knee-jerk, it's all compulsive, it's all like... You know what God says? God says, decide what you're going to give, why you're going to give, where you're going to give, plan it, and then you'll be a happy giver. And you won't have to walk around life compulsively, knee-jerk reacting all the time. The world always wants you to give out of guilt. Religion wants you to give out of guilt. The preacher stands up and says, we're not meeting our budget, beloved. Pass the plate three times, ushers. And it's, it's guilt. And guilt leads to compulsiveness. Compulsiveness leads to anger. Anger leads to disillusionment. Disillusionment leads to a very small person. No matter how much you give, God wants us to have a plan. We'll talk about that next week. But give cheerfully. Cheerful giver. I'm happy. I got a plan. I'm generous. Because God's been generous to me. I'm not trying to be generous. By the way, I'm really verbose right now. Okay. But I will say this. You don't give to earn approval with God. You give because you already have approval with God. That's cheerful giving. Cheerful giving never is like, I'm going to give so God will be pleased with me. And when God's pleased with me, then he'll let me in. That's, that's not a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver says, I have everything by grace in Christ. I give as a celebration of my already earned approval that Jesus earned for me on the cross. My giving, my generosity is out of that, and that will make you a cheerful giver. Number three. Finally, confessionally. Well, that, that confessionally, you confess the gospel. In verse 13, he says that our giving, our generosity, should always be attached with a confession. When you come up with your budget, and, and you say, this is how much we're going to spend every month, and this is what we're going to give every month. When you and your wife, wife, you and your husband, mom and dad with your kids, when you're lining out your budget, and you're saying, this is how much I'm going to give, this is how much generosity I'm going to give back to the world, you tell your family, you tell anybody that asks, you tell your spouse, you remind each other, the reason why we give is because we believe that God gave us Jesus Christ free of charge, that God has made us rich in Christ, that we are wealthy people. My girls will never have an identity that their wealth is depending on things or possession. They will always know that their wealth is defined by what God says about them in Jesus Christ. Money's never made anybody rich. But a confession of the gospel has. We give. How do you give? How, how do you do generosity confessionally? Now I'm going to close with um, something by a guy. His, his name is Timothy Keller. Great pastor. Just really, really great pastor in Manhattan, New York. He is Yoda, Yoda smart. Amen. Now, see, I told the first service that would work with you, and it didn't. 
But he says, listen, there's three signs. I'll go through these really quick. Three signs in your life that money has no power over you. So money has no power over you if, number one, you can love rich people without being envious or without hating them. Money has no power over you if you can love rich people without envying them and without hating them. You could go over, you could go over into Morton to the largest house in Morton, which has got to be big. I've not seen it, but it's got to be huge. And you could go into that, and they could have five cars. And you could go into that house, and number one, you don't hate them. You don't say, what a, oh my God goodness. Nor do you say, oh, if I could just have two of those cars. Money has no power over you if you can just go in there and enjoy that home and that person freely because money doesn't define you. It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean anything either way about how valuable you are. You're valuable because of your relationship with God and money has no power if you can love rich people. Number two, money has no power over you if you can respect poor people. If you can get together with, a, with somebody that you would consider poor or, or that really genuinely is impoverished and you could sit down and respect that person as a human being, as an image bearer of God, then money has no power over you because money doesn't make you feel superior to other people anymore. See, I've got a job. I've got, got my things and this, this poor fool. But I've got it. You're no longer feeling support, superior because of your money or your job or your things. You feel confident only because of grace in Jesus Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And therefore, you can relate to anybody no matter where they're at with money. No matter if they're poor, over poor, over poor. You could go into prisons. You could go into jails. You could go into street ministries. You could go into inner city ministries. You could sit down and not only give them soup, but drink soup with them as a fellow human being on an equal playing field. That is when money no longer has power over you. And number three, money has no power over you if you are a generous person. Because you're able to release it. You're able to, you're able to finally stop walking through life with this tight grip. This tight grip. And you're able to say, here's my open hand, God. Money has no power over you anymore when you can let it go. A generous person is a person freed from the love of money and will experience change that you can bank on from God. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and your generosity. It, it was a voluntary, cheerful decision on your part. Jesus, the Bible says that for the joy you went to the cross. It, it wasn't reluctant. It wasn't compulsive. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was unplanned. In fact, it was planned before the foundation of the world. You budgeted, Jesus. You put in your budget. I'm going to go to the cross.
And you chose willingly, cheerfully, voluntarily, intentionally, measurably to show your generosity for us sinners saved by grace. And we celebrate that love. We know that we're standing here forgiven. We know that we're standing here changed. We know that we're standing here as people who don't have to depend on the past. We know that there is no condemnation for those of us found in you. And so now, Jesus, send us your people. Send us your disciples, your students into this world as generous people, as people who willingly, cheerfully, measurably, intentionally practices generosity because you've given us so much. Help us to let go of the extra thing in our lives so that we can be more generous. Help us to define for our families and our children and our grandchildren what value really is. Value is love and relationships. Values is loving neighbors. Values is loving you and being loved by you and experiencing your grace. Value in life is things that money cannot buy. Value is things in life that we can never, that, that we can hang on to for in all of eternity in kingdom treasures laid up with you. And so God help us to be your generous people and help us to see and experience your generosity. If you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, I welcome you as a fellow spiritually impoverished man. I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to feel like I could never be forgiven. I know what it's like to feel like that I could never break free from the bondage in my life. I know what it's like to feel like that I could never be cleansed or that I could never be changed. I know what it's like to come to God and to say, God, if you don't change me, I will not change. And if that's the cry of your heart, I invite you to receive into open hands, empty hands, the life of Christ. You are more sinful than you've ever imagined, and yet you are more loved than you could dare ever hope for. Receive his love into your life and let somebody know. Receive the generosity of God. Don't hear God saying to you to give to him. Hear God saying to you to receive from him. He's not trying to take anything from you. He's trying to give something to you. Receive him and worship him and celebrate him with me. Let's all stand. Let's sing to God generously. Let's offer Him generous praise. Let's let go of this life. We all struggle with tight grips. I do. You do. Let's let it, let it go right now in singing to Him and worshiping Him. And remember that it's first what you receive, not what you give. So take. Take from God's offering plate. Take from God His gift. Take this worship and this celebration that Jesus has earned for you. He purchased it for you. Use it. Use your worship and the passion he's given you and praise him.